Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan. And I've got one of my favorite people on here, Marty Park. Super excited to have you back on here, man. Marty Josh, is coming nice back in again after like, what, two years? It's been- That's right. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> been at least two years, I think. So I'm, I'm excited to have you back in here, Marty, because we want to know what's been happening over the last couple of years. Now, as our listeners know, you know, we've been doing this series. We're bringing back in a lot of, you know, our guests, some of our favorite guests, bringing them back in. And just so you know, if you're one of the guests we're not bringing in, it doesn't mean we don't like you, right? It's just some of the, the top picks we had, but we're bringing these guys back in to talk about what's been happening over the past few years in their company and how they've been able to grow. So Marty, I am kind of curious where are you at now? What business are you doing? Cause I know you've, you've been in coaching for years and consulting, but what's, what's the, yeah. What's the so deal actually right the, I think Josh, you know, that uh, one of my transitions about five years ago was getting out of all my other companies, my marketing agency, I sold selling off restaurants just to focus on my coaching company. Some of that tied into, I had two small kids now that are young boys. And so the progression for me over the last couple of years has been really broadening out our coaching, adding coaches, looking at online programs. Uh, so we've launched an online sales program. So a lot of that is still around the idea of educating entrepreneurs and supporting that entrepreneur ecosystem or sort of just that networking community. And our focus is always the people that get past startup. I'm always a big fan that the established entrepreneur or the guy who's had the business for three years or five years, everybody always forgets about them. I feel like they're the lost audience of like, hey, I'm still over here struggling. Like I got past startup, but now there's no government programs for me or anything. What do I do now? And so that's been a lot of our focus. And my big push now has been, okay, broadening this out geographically. Like, so we've got clients in the UK and US and Canada. And now to be able to actually, with a lot of clients as they've grown and developed a lot of capital and, and money set aside from their business, they've been asking me over the last year, like, hey, what, do you, what should I do with this money? And so it's actually accelerated my push to create a capital company and create investment opportunities so that part of our program becomes like, okay, how do we grow the business? And then now as it starts to kick off a bunch of cash, how do we start to create some wealth? And that's, for me, been a long-term thing of let's buy some companies, let's hold them. How do we improve them and, and create opportunities for me long-term in terms of asset values? But also now, ironically, the number of clients who are like, can I put 50 grand in that? Can I throw hundred grand in that? And you're like, oh, I'm creating a whole investor community in some ways, almost accidentally. So that's a little bit about the transition or what I've been up to the last few years. I'll see. And that's, I just have to highlight this guys. I mean, what perfect timing to sell all your restaurants off five years ago, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the poor, there's the poor guys who bought those now are like, dang it. <laughs> the best time to get out of the restaurant business is always the same answer. It's today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should talk to uh, my business partner and brother. He's actually working on getting out of his right now. Cause we've, I'm like, dude, you're making enough here. Let's just get rid of those restaurants, man. They're just not, they're not worth it. They're money pits. Um, I was just driving into the office this morning and I drove by a pub that was for lease. And I had that moment where I thought, I bet you I could pick that thing up for free, take over the lease. Just, I, yeah, maybe I could. And then I was like, no, stop, stop what you're thinking. Just stay out of the restaurant. Sell <laughs> the equipment business. and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, it's funny, Marty. I've been, I'm having a lot of conversations with people, you know, having them come back on. And almost every single one has been incorporating an acquisition strategy, which has been our strategy over the past couple of years of saying, well, instead of just trying to build one pillar, why don't we just 
acquire other companies with other services and partner with other companies that offer other services for a cut. You know, it's been really interesting to see that like you're doing the same thing. And so what have been, what's the industry you're looking at right now to acquire companies in? So, well, it's, we're, it's nothing sexy, right? It's not like biotech or, you know, like, Hey, what's the next AI app that platform that we can do? I mean, I like the idea and I joke with people. My profile is sort of like a company that's manufacturing ball bearings out of like Dayton, Ohio, and nobody's ever heard of them. And they've got an EBITDA though of like, you know, 1.8 million a year and the owner wants to retire. And so we are looking for companies that are often a necessary industry, but probably not sexy, right? And so right. staying away from that, because what I, I've got a client who's got a clean tech company and they are like, this thing could go to the moon. And I was like, yeah, it could, or more likely statistically, it's going to go to zero. Right. right. But if I, so we're looking to buy established companies, ideally with the owner where we can get management team into some form of ownership, we take a majority stake. And yeah, but we're looking all across industries and actually I'm putting some people in place that they can make outbound phone calls and start to investigate that. So we're proactive as opposed to having to look, you know, on businessforsale.com or something where it's like, Hey, what have we got? Cause if, as you know, if you go to those sites, it's like, Oh, more restaurants, more cafes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, or more companies that are like trying to hide the fact that the last six months, their revenues have tanked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, yeah, these uh, are our financial numbers from a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about lately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, a lot of it is low tech, but we're, and we're actually in fairness, we're trying to refine some of that. Right. So I've got now a little bit more deal flow and we're starting to be able to evaluate, but it's also from clients that we've had where they've been in fast expansion. So we've got a client that is in ag tech. And there's a whole bunch of opportunities and we're looking at, hey, maybe we can invest in that. And then we've got a client in aviation, but they're in some specific niches in aviation. And so they're not necessarily buying planes, but now it's like, oh, we might buy a fuel company to be able to supply it. And so there's some of that vertical integration. So right. with different companies, we're looking at what can we vertically integrate or what does that look like? And I think that's probably the strategy comes from dealing as a coach or an advisor to clients is they keep growing organically. And they're trying to think about like, how do we get one client at a time? Then it becomes, how do we get like 10 clients at a time? And then it starts to be like, what if we go buy 200 clients? It's like, right. oh. And so, you know, that becomes a natural acquisition becomes that multiplier effect to keep growing a business faster in the, over time. And so we just started to look at that same thing. Like where are there opportunities where the owner is maybe because of age or just where he's at in his life? isn't pursuing all the opportunities that he knows in front of him. And so there's a lot of just conversations going on with really random types of businesses right now. Yeah. I had a guy on like a year and a half ago. He'll actually be coming back on as well. His name's Carl Allen. I don't know if you're, you know, Carl, but he helps people to, to buy and sell businesses, right? He's one of the, I think he's done like 2 billion or something in acquisition deals. But anyway, right. the guy's doing something very similar to what you're doing, but he shared a statistic that I thought was so just crazy to me, but it's 12 out of every 13 businesses that go up for sale end up just closing their doors. So like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. You're like, no, I wouldn't have guessed it was that high, but I know it's like, a, it's a majority. It's a heavy majority. I don't know what that is in like percentages. I think that's like a 92% or something, right? I'm guessing. People that's are that's right. Sure. That sounds like right math. Someone's going to comment on this and be like, it's 95. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> right, right. Somebody can correct you later. Yeah. I, I didn't get a degree in math. I got a degree in finance, which should be math. <laughs> but, but anyway, so but I look at that statistic, you know, and I say, that's why people like you are winning because 12 of those people are like, I'm just so done with this. They'll give it to you for free. Some people even pay right. you to take their businesses in some cases. They're like, I just want to get rid of this. Like it's a money pit right now. I don't have the 
marketing or sales acumen to grow it. So like, what's your expertise when you're bringing them on? How are you helping them to grow? Is it a cross-sell? Is it implementing marketing systems? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So when we talk about, I mean, our focus is helping clients grow. And so what we find is that people, you know, you start a business and I always say that everybody will do anything involved. So, I mean, they will tell their story. Oh my God, I just launched a soap company. And you tell them like, put on a chicken suit and stand in the corner and, you know, throw soap at the passing cars. People are like, that sounds like a good idea. I'll try it. (laughs) But what happens is you develop those, you establish like staff, and then you've got a set base of clients your innovation and the amount of you know crazy marketing or things you'll try keeps getting smaller. And so we really do come back with most clients to be able to say, okay, let's focus on your sales approach and what you're doing and break down all of that. Let's look at all your marketing, which for most people is still sort of the two-legged table. You know, well, we got a website and we're doing some AdWords and you're like, and that's your whole marketing. Okay. So <laughs> when you see that, we add a lot more tactical approaches to it. And I think that's where most companies, I mean, this actually is one of the opportunities when you buy a business is that I would say across the board, most businesses spend so little time really developing an ongoing regular marketing program, right? They do a marketing stunt or they do a marketing campaign and marketing is not done through the year. And then you look at that. And even when the marketing is going, you're like, what do you do with sales? I mean, we have a client who is awesome guy named Joe and Joe's in, got a pretty sizable construction company. And I said, Joe, when you talk to somebody who's a lead and they require, what do you say? I said, are you kind of like you? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, you're gruff. Like, yeah. So what kind of renovation or construction project have you got? I was like, well, that's a pretty compelling sales program. Right. And so <laughs> you get him like, well, what questions do you want me to ask? And what should this look like? And since you look a little bit like a mafia hitman, like, Let's send them a bio and so they learn about you and see a picture with the family. And we incorporate sort of how do we create trust and relationship in the selling process. And all of a sudden he's like, we're winning a lot of business. I was like, right. And so that's how that sales and marketing push is, is it. And then as that happens, of course, sales start to go up. You have to be able to think, okay, the next two pieces is we've got to be looking at team and who do we need to add not only immediately, but into the future and starting to be a little more proactive strategically. And also like, as you know, the finances of things like, hey, we're going to add 10 more people. What's that cost? I don't know. Okay. We should probably figure out or manage our overhead to sales and just constantly keep playing both sides of the equation and just make sure we know when we're going to need more cash or how much. And so, yeah, that's become sort of the four pillars of things for us is marketing, sales, then moving into the people and the finance piece. And not that we just ignore people or finance in the beginning, but that's not really the focus of how do you start to scale a business. Right. Well, and I mean, if there's no, you know, blood coming into the business, there's no reason to, <laughs> to well, keep it going. It, right. It'll disappear. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I had a guy say this. I really love this term. He says every, every entrepreneur has a competence ceiling where they, you run out of competence, right? And that might be, you know, you might be the startup guy who can build a company to a million dollars in under a year, right? That's right. honestly probably the hardest stage of entrepreneurialism, in my opinion, it's breaking that million dollar barrier. Yeah. But then a lot of those guys can't take it past a million, right? And that doesn't mean, hey, you suck. It just means that's not your, that's your ceiling of competence. So where do you hand it off to the next person? It sounds like Marty, yours is like from taking it from the maybe million to five or 10 million to the next stage, right? So towards exit with that. Yeah, actually, that's exactly right. And I I would actually say, uh, Josh, you bring it up the idea of level of competence or the level of comfort, because sometimes it's confidence and comfort that is also the, well, yeah, we could do that, but I, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that. And it, maybe it's yeah. that here, I need you to be standing in your soapbox more, be the front man for the business more. And people are like, 
yeah, it's not really where I feel comfortable. And so helping clients, but you're exactly right. You get the client who's like, look, I'm a million bucks and I want to get to five, but there's nothing I've been doing. They're either trapped in the day-to-day or they're in, they need to just find innovation. And a lot of that innovation is on the sales and marketing side. And then, yeah, you get them to five. And now, as you know, in talking to so many entrepreneurs, that changes everything. You're at five or you're at 10 or you're scaling to 20. And now you're like, okay, now I'm just going to start to develop some cash out of this. And this is like really becomes a much bigger going concern than a lot of early entrepreneurs even dream of. I always think it's funny. People are always like, I just want to get to a million or they're like, I want to be a billion. And you're like, there's a lot of space in between there to play. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people think they need more to be happy than the truth is, is like, I've never met somebody who could spend over 500,000 a year unless they were just buying houses, yachts. And it's like, if you're not into mega yachts, 500 grand a year is a lot of money. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a good buddy who used to say that almost that exact number. He was like, he had sold the business. And you know, see, I I was pulling out 50 grand a month. And he goes, I gotta be honest at 50K a month, like there's really not much you can't do. I mean, we just booked vacations whenever we want. We did whatever we want. And he's like, there's a lot of freedom at that level. And yeah. you're right. I mean, if you need to go buy another Lamborghini every month, that's not enough. But right. um, once you've got three or four, I mean, really, how many do you need? <laughs> you need to meet Kevin Hodes. The guy buys like five McLarens a year. It's hilarious. <laughs> right. But then it just becomes a storage problem. Uh, right? Like I know, now I got to right. buy a hanger. I got to drive to the hangar to go get one of the McLarens. It's like, oh, uh. right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some people that's their thing, but I would yeah. say 98% of entrepreneurs, I'm just throwing a number out there are probably pretty content with 500 grand to a million dollars in their pocket a year. And I, for me, I'd be hard pressed to be able to spend that money to be completely real with you. So it to me, true. I'm always like, I just try to put it into the next business. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have that much headache of like, well, what do I do with this next thing of money and having to meet with financial people all the time and be sold on oh. all these different investment opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> I have a client who exited uh, one of his companies and pocketed, uh, you know, two and a half for almost three million bucks. And he sort of his question, like, "What do I do with this?" And didn't realize that actually now not knowing where to put the money was a problem. Yeah, like you know, yeah, I've got a financial advisor, and he says here put in these mutual funds. But he's like, like, there's got to be a better way to make this work. But he's sort of moved to that next level of incompetence where he's like, I really realized I know nothing about creating wealth or sort of some of that. But I mean, these are great problems to have. Yeah, I know. Some people are like, oh, boohoo, you know, you guys, your mm-hmm. first world problems, right? right? But you've kind of mentioned this a couple of times throughout the interview, right? But it's, what was the word you said? Creating wealth, right? Because mm. you're talking about business and creating wealth. So what's your delineation between those two? So I, I always think that, I always think of the business as being the engine, right? The engine, it, it's the thing that really produces cash flow. I mean, for a lot of people, if you're not an entrepreneur or business owner, you know, your cash flow comes from your job inevitably there's a ceiling. Like, here's my salary and maybe I get a bit of a bonus, but I've got to play within that box. I always loved being a business owner where it's like, hey, I could add another location. I could multiply this. I can grow sales. There's no limit to that ability to, to increase the size of the engine. And of course, as, and most people are struggle with that. Like, well, I'm trying to grow from you know 500,000. I've just passed startup to now I do want to get to 5 million. I don't know how to do that. And there's a different set of skills there. But when you do reach that 5 million, you do get to a place where you're like at 5 million, maybe it's kicking off, you know, half a million bucks a year, 10%. And it becomes a little bit like, hey, as you said, the first year you're buying a house and you buy a new car and it's great. But by year three, you're like, oh, it's still coming. 
oh, I, now where do I put this money? Right. And so <laughs> I, I have five boats, right? I got, where do right. I put my money? <laughs> yeah. So there becomes a little bit like, okay, what's your, how does that tie into your bigger life plan? You know, a strategy for maybe family. So I just think there's a whole set of other interesting questions, but I still spend most of my day-to-day talking with people about that scalability and how do you grow something so that it just becomes a bigger cash engine for you into the future. Right. Love that. And I hope people will look at that and say, okay, is there a potentiality for me to maybe say, okay, here's my ceiling of competence or what, like you said, confidence and comfort. And maybe your quote unquote pivot is actually selling your company to somebody like Marty. But the cool thing, and this is something I don't think a lot of people think about is that you don't have to sell the entire company. You can say, Hey, I'm going to sell 95%. I'm going to keep my 5% as non-voting shares. But when they sell the company later, I can cash that out. Or you keep it as a profit share or something. So you can still be making a good living off of somebody else's efforts who has the competence and confidence to grow it to that next level. And it seems like that's kind of where somebody like you comes in, Marty, of like, Hey, let's take it to that next step where somebody might not feel comfortable with that. And it pulls you as the entrepreneur out of that death cycle of where's the next client coming from? Okay. Now we've got to fix operations. Where's the next client coming from? Right. Right. I think you just pointed out that the, everybody sees everything in that duality of like, I own it or I sell it. And there's that, uh, you know, I keep it the same size or I grow it. And there's a lot of variables, right? So there's yeah. so many ways to be like, well, what if you don't sell at all? As you said, what if you only sell a portion of it? Or what if you bring in other owners that are, or why don't we, well, how do we include the management long-term? Or there's all these different ways that, again, people think, well, how do you raise money? It's like, well, now we've got to go find a venture capital firm. Right. Well, there's a lot of other places and ways to be able to generate that. And so I just like to, I think a lot of my job is to be able, being on the outside, because it's always easy to be a genius when you're on the outside of the business, <laughs> is to be able to say like, well, here, let me look at this or just throw out some other options we have so that people can say, oh, I got a dozen options instead of just the traditional two of I, I keep owning this or I sell it all completely. And I think that's true of, again, the limitation of operationally, you start to get caught up in, well, either we do this or we do that. And you know, it's either priced this way or it's priced that way. And just constantly presenting, there is an infinite number of options. And that's, I think, what gets me jazzed about business is there's always another way to skin the cat, so to speak. And it's finding that as the ongoing daily challenge. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that because like you said, it, it's getting out of that black and white thinking or the duality, I think what you said, right? Yeah. I love that because most of the people listening to this, that's where they're stuck is they're like, do I pivot or do I scale? And like there's way more options than that. <laughs> you know, that's why I love bringing right. people like you on who can express some of those options to people. Cause I meet people all the time who instead of starting a business, cause they're like, I hate that part. I I'm really bad at finding product market fit. I don't understand how to get those first initial sales, but I do know how to take an existing system that works, improve upon it and make it better. All you need is like, in some cases you can get a business for free that already has a great system and you just move into it. You know, it's, it's cool that you figure that out. <laughs> um, well, it sounds really smart now. If you had asked me, you know, 25 years ago as a startup entrepreneur, I was on the treadmill running along with, it looked a lot like one of the big gyms, you know, where there's like 30 treadmills lined up, me and all the other entrepreneurs running as fast as we yeah. can, feeling like I'm not making any headway here. But it sure looks good. I get a lot of press. People are saying I'm <laughs> yeah, really right. smart. <laughs> right. Look at me. Yeah. Yeah. Until all of a sudden you're not and everybody hates you. And that's the hard thing with startup life, right? Is finding that, finding where your strength is and getting off the treadmill and actually moving forward. <laughs> so, you know, Marty, we do, we are coming up to the end of the interview here. But if you could give us like an actionable piece of advice today, what would you say would be like the first step you should, that an entrepreneur should take? So I think it comes to my hate for the word pivot. And what I mean by that is I think too often it became trendy out of a lot of the tech companies, like we're pivoting, 
which is another way of saying like my current model is not working. Um, <laughs> so I like the honesty of that. But my experience is for a lot of those people that are in this place of like, this doesn't seem to be scaling very well. You know, this comes from sort of my experience early on in business was I had a great business partner named Greg and Greg was always had another idea. I mean, he was just an, a great idea machine, but oftentimes we would take an idea, try it for, you know, six weeks, didn't really give it the time to let it incubate or grow or put the effort into it. And a lot of that marketing, a lot of that effort was in this, are we marketing this enough? Are we selling this enough? Are we looking literally like putting in the effort. And so then we'd be like, yeah, we got to pivot. And so we drop that. We move on to the next thing. And so my big thing is if you really have something, you have to take an honest look and say, like, in order to scale this, has we have we really put in the effort? Have we got, and this goes back to somebody who's trying to do sales. It's like, you know, take a salesperson, you know, oh, I've phoned people and nobody wants this product. Well, how many people did you phone? Well, four. Okay, well, well that, that's not a market survey. I like the idea, like when you phone 400, now you can be able to say, okay, I've, I've really put in the effort. So I like that before you think about pivoting, you really look and go, do I have a broad marketing program? And I've really put the time and effort into it. Have I really put in the sales effort? And you know, gone door to door and done the phone work and met people and networked and told my story and shouted from the rooftops about the product or service. If you've done that, and it hasn't worked, then you got to say, okay, now I have the pivot conversation. But I think people start to move to pivot too early. So my thing is hold in there, focus on the marketing and selling side as a tactical approach, really know that you've done enough and then be able to think about pivot as a almost a last resort. And that's been something I found with clients and certainly my experience I know would have helped me earlier on in my career. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you learned anything from this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with another entrepreneur it could help. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the flip side.